0: Today we're, uh, we're starting a new series about becoming devoted followers of Jesus. God longs for us to live for him through Christ, to grow in love and knowledge of him so that we can be his people, his worshipers, filled with his Holy Spirit. But how do we do this? How do we grow in our faith? Most of us know how to become followers of Christ. But how do we grow in that faith? What does it mean to become devoted followers of Jesus? When I was in my secondary university, uh, I joined a student Christian club on the campus. And for me, this was a very exciting time in my life. I was maturing intellectually, academically, spiritually. And during these years, I was challenged in new ways to trust God. And I was exploring Opportunities to serve Christ in ways that I'd never thought possible. And I remember our group of guys who met for discipleship. Four or five guys we met with a leader, and we went through various studies together. And there was a fellow student named Alex, and Alex impressed me. He was someone who was uh, really on fire for the Lord. Uh, he was ahead of me in many ways: commitment, knowledge, zeal, passion for Jesus. He desired to serve God, and he displayed an intensity I'd rarely ever seen in anybody in my life. No matter what we were doing, sharing our faith, Bible studies, putting up posters, whatever we did, he was always there, and he was an example to me. Within a couple of years, something happened to him, and he began to drift. In fact, he drifted so far that within a few years, he wasn't even attending church anymore. For some reason, he went from energy to apathy. He moved from commitment to absence, all within just a few short years. And for the longest time, I couldn't figure out why. I could not fathom what happened. Here was somebody who was so committed, and now God's on a shelf for him. And sadly, over the years, I've seen a few other believers to which this has happened. They drift and struggle, and at times they become kind of submerged in that horizon, that twilight world between belief and not really doing much about it. For Alex, it seemed that uh, the excitement and activity faded with time. He became overwhelmed with responsibilities, by being hurt, and a whole host of other things in life. That gradually moved him from growing in his love for Jesus to sitting on the sidelines, wondering if that love was ever as real as you remembered. I think many of us know people who can be similar to Alex. We know people who are struggling with their faith, who have wandered away, or who are in the process of moving further from being and living with Jesus. Among them, you may count a friend, a spouse, a sister or brother, a grown-up child. And it can be difficult and heartbreaking because you want to help them, but the more you try, the more they seem to be pushed away. If you try and, help and leave them alone, then their chances of coming back to the faith and being restored to Jesus in commitment is even less, it seems. Perhaps this morning I'm describing you. Perhaps uh, you're just coming back from a time in the wilderness. Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, you know, I've believed for a long time, but, um, you know, I need to make some changes. Maybe you're entering a place right now where that's coming into your mind. It's 2016. Will 2016 be the same as it was in 2015, 2014, 2013 in my faith? Will anything change in my faith? You may even be asking, is this all all there is to following Jesus? Is there something more? Am I missing something? Well, you know, as I thought about my friend... Alex and I pondered about what happened to him and I wondered if this could happen to me Jesus drew my attention to this passage this morning in Second Peter in our text this morning this serves as a launching pad for our series on devotion to Jesus what happened to Alex was that um, he was caught up on all the events activities and he failed to grow spiritually when the joy and excitement of doing stuff subsided and it always does so did his motivation. When the demands of his studies and the uncertainty of his future crowded out Christian activities, his joy and passion for Jesus also gradually began to fade and at times even stop. But don't understand understand me. Um, It wasn't that Alex was abandoned by God or that he lost his faith in Jesus. No, Alex still believed. He still knew. The problem was, that he had put Jesus into a box, into the corner of his life. And gradually, he could ignore that corner. Because it went from here in front of me, gradually came around behind, and I, I can't see my hand anymore. Jesus is still there, but I'm not seeing him. He became less relevant for him. You and I may never drift as far as Alex. But if we're not actively growing and deepening in our faith, we may find ourselves drifting. And left unchecked, we will stumble. But the good news is, there's another better way. And for the next three months, as a church, we're going to go through a process of messages and studies dealing with becoming more devoted, growing in the faith that we hold so dear. This could be, as I look at this, and what's happened in my own life over the past few years in following some of these things, this could be a very, very important series of messages and times for our church as we commit ourselves to growing more deeper and to walking with Him. This series is not about knowing more, not about increasing your intellectual knowledge. It's about developing intimacy with God, about growing with Him in relationship, with the God who loves you, who gave Himself up for you, and who gives you life everlasting, and expects from each of us everything. We're joining with the heart of David, as we talked about last week, when David ended his, his prayer in Psalm 139, and he said, God, lead me in the way everlasting. We want to be led in the way of everlasting. In our text this morning, you can turn there if you want, in Second Peter 1, 3 to 11, the apostle Peter was well aware of the dangers present for believers. And as he neared his death, he writes to remind the first, century, the first century church of the extreme importance and necessity to be in a continual state of growing spiritually. Most of us have probably agree that we need to grow in our faith, become better disciples. But many of us are unsure of what to do. Okay, I know I need to do this, but what do I do? Or some of us know what to do, but we struggle to do that. We struggle to actually do the things that God has mentioned to us. God provides only for our salvation, but also grants everything that we need to live and grow in faith. So this is the first message about being devoted to Jesus. And we want to learn from Peter three aspects of how we can begin this journey to live in a deeper and more complete devotion to our precious Lord and Savior. And so Peter brings up three aspects, three simple aspects Simple on paper, hard to live out. God gives us a provision for godly living. There's a practice of godly living, and it's a product of godly living. That's how God has spoken to me in looking at these verses. The first aspect a provision for godly living is seen in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It is God's power that has done this. It is his ability to bring us to himself and to keep us with himself. But what has God provided for us? He has given us everything to live godly lives. Well what does that mean? Well, he has provided salvation for us through Jesus. He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to give us that capacity to know follow him. He has given us the ability to continually know him in a personal relationship way. He's given you the capacity and the desire to actually live godly lives. That desire comes from him. And it's a gift. Now, to be a gift means that the one who gives the gift to the person who, what, receives it. I can have a nice gift for you here, and I say, here's a gift, and you never take it. It's not a gift, because you haven't received it yet. God has given us these gifts to be received, not just to be talked about. And how has He given us these gifts? He's given it through knowledge of Him, through knowing Him. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. It's knowing Him that the gifts are given. Jesus said in John seventeen three. Now this is eternal life that they, they know You, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. It's the act of knowing. It's the process of knowing. You know, it's not merely head knowledge. It's more than it's heart knowledge. It goes from here to here, and it leads us to know Christ in a more deeper way as we act and behave in new ways that reflect him and his honor and glory. It can be the difference between knowing about somebody and knowing someone. I know about lots of people, but I don't know them. I have a knowledge in my brain about who they are, who I think they are. But until I have a relationship with them, I don't really know them. I can't say I know them. Many people know about God, but they don't know him in the sense of having that relationship with him. He does this, and he provides this gift, and through our knowledge, by calling us to him. It says, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Who called us. Not who's calling us, who called us. Past tense. Knowing him means being called by him. It begins at a certain point when we come to know him as Savior and Lord. And he knows us and he calls us by his own glory and goodness. Now, I've kind of skipped over this when I was reading this passage originally. By his own glory and goodness. Okay. Then I thought about it and I thought, what does it mean by his own glory and goodness? When Jesus came to the earth, he set aside his glory in heaven. He set aside access to his divinity and became as us. His essence, the glory, the essence of who God is, is what redeemed you. And his goodness, the deeds that he committed, the way he lived his life. We're talking about devotion to Jesus, which really is simply imitating his life, being like him. And this is not based on our own efforts, but on the one who redeemed us, both morally and legally. His divine power cannot be resisted. If we are his, that cannot be changed. There's assurance in that. If that isn't enough, Peter goes on to say in verse 4, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We are allowed to receive promises from God. Now, Peter does not enumerate these. He does not go through and list every promise that God has given. That would take a lot of time. But he gives us a clue of what these promises are given. These are given so that we can participate in the divine nature. What does that mean? When I first read this, I, I stopped and thought, wait a minute, participate in the divine nature? I mean, what's he saying? Peter is not saying that you're going to become divine. Only God is divine. The word participate can also be rendered as to partake or to share. And it's rather being filled by the Holy Spirit. As God's Spirit is in us, as he lives within us and transforms us, we begin to share in what God has for us as we experience him. In fact, Paul explains it this way. He explains it as until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Participating in the divine is becoming the whole measure, full measure, of the fullness of Christ. That's what it means to become mature, become more like Jesus. But there are also obstacles that can get in the way of that. Escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Growing in the fullness of Christ means that we are escaping from the corruption of the world. And that corruption of the world is caused by your, my, our evil desires. Whatever desire that does not belong to God, that is against what He would have us do and be. So Peter is telling us that God provides everything we need in order to live godly lives, but it is our responsibility. To receive his gifts and to act upon his given promises, you know I was thinking this morning of an example of this, and um, I thought, if I came to you and said, "I have a brand new car for you it 's my gift to you well, you wouldn 't actually have that gift until you actually signed the paper and received it. But what if I said, "Not only am I giving you this car, but whenever you need a tank of gas, let me know and i 'll fill it. When it needs oil, go ahead. I'll fill it up. New tires? I'll maintain the vehicle, but you've got to let me know. Now, if you receive this and it sat in the curb and you said, well, I don't need the car. I had the promises that I'm not going to actually use the car. It's just going to sit there. Well, then I'd have no reason to maintain the car. God gives us promises that we receive and then we live in those promises. That's why he gives us those promises. We have a role in our growth what we need to do and what we need to be and it comes to our second point this morning the practice of godly living in verses 5 to 9 for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness now if you're reading this in a you know, think about this Peter is saying make every effort now we need to make we need to pay close attention to this because we could misunderstand what's, what's going on here when Peter says make every effort, he does not mean that we can grow spiritually or in grace through our own efforts, through our own works. So this, this effort word in English usually means you're doing it. The idea here is that we're to apply all diligence, to be zealous, to be careful to receive and apply what God provides. That's our role. Let me explain it in this way. How are you saved? How does God save us? Can you do anything to save yourself? Of course not. We cannot perfectly keep God's law. So we say that we're saved by what? We're saved by grace and not by works, the law. So how does a person live a life pleasing to God? How does a person grow in their faith? Well, we just try harder, right? By our own act and will and and effort, we mature. We just do it in our own strength. You see, our will and the law has the same problem, the same deficiency. Both only deal with the externals of life. Our human effort cannot really bring about change inside of us, the necessary inner transformation and only God can do. Now, God provides everything for us to do that, we receive that, we walk in that, but we cannot make it happen. Peter also says that for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Well, I thought faith was enough. I thought faith was all sufficient. Why does he say add to your faith? This is the second point I need to stress here. It's that Peter's admonition about adding to your faith doesn't mean that faith is somehow insufficient or not enough. What he means is that faith is enhanced. It is strengthened. It is built. It grows when we diligently receive and apply God's provision for godly living. This becomes clear in other translations. You know, if you're reading the Bible in a translation you like, you come to a passage and you go, I'm not quite sure, look at a different translation. Sometimes different translators will use a similar word that make it clear. The NSB translation says supply, and your faith supply godly characters. Or the ESV says supplement your faith. So it's building that faith. In fact, again, I turn to our friend Paul, who says in Galatians 6, actually 7 and 8, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will be eternal life. We're talking about reaping to the Spirit. Uh, reaping from the Spirit, but sowing in the Spirit in our lives. So it comes down to being our responsibility. This is commonly known as the spiritual disciplines. You know, if I uh, was a farmer, I'd get seed and plant it. I don't make the seed, God makes the seed. I take what he gives, and I plant it, and then I cultivate the land. I water it, I tend it, and a crop grows. It's very similar to spiritual dynamics in our own life. God provides everything we need, we take what, he, what he's given us, we live in that, and God produces the qualities that he wants to see. Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Disciplines, describes it this way, that God has ordained the disciplines of the spiritual life as the means by which we place ourselves where he can bless us. It's putting yourself in a place where God can transform you. And the exercises and disciplines of the spiritual life allow that to happen. It's just a pathway. It doesn't actually do that. But let's bring this down to, to earth for you with an example. Um, a long time ago before I came to Montreal, I was living in Turkey. And I was being moved by God to come back to Canada to do a degree but I wasn't sure if that was his will or not so I had no flatmates at home for a week everyone was gone and I I told our leadership look I'm taking a few days nobody talked to me I need to talk to God so I got up in the morning and I said I'm going to fast today and I'm going to listen to the Lord guess what happened nothing happened and I, I sat there and thought, you know, I'm reading the scriptures and God, I'm seeking you and, and I don't hear anything. So I went for a walk and as I was walking, the Lord said, you know why you're not hearing anything? Because you're trying to do it your way. You think by fasting and by uh, being pious, I'm going to answer you. No, that's not what I want. I want you. I went home and had lunch and had a great week with the Lord. Now, it's, it's, it's hard Because our efforts, our design as creatures is to do stuff. I need to do something. And God says, wait, there are things that I want you to do and I'll tell you when to do them. And as you give yourself to me, then I will show you what you need to know. It's a spiritual practice and it takes practice. It is not easy to do because we tend to get ourselves into the picture too much. So what are we supposed to apply Supply to our faith. Well, that's my coming back to Canada picture I didn't put up there. I was so happy to find that little picture and I didn't show you. So take a second to look at that question mark. <laughs> Thanks for indulging me. But Peter talks about uh, seven words that describe for him and for us uh, what were to add to our faith, what would become to our faith. I mean, if you were. Um, If you said that you were a believer and you didn't have any goodness in your life, that may give you pause. Virtue, correct behavior, righteous living are all aspects of goodness. And they come from in here. You can't fake it. When you know somebody, you know if they're good or not. Only God can make you good. Peter talks about adding to the goodness knowledge. And this is not a list where, okay, first I do goodness, then I do knowledge, No, no, it's all at the same time. It's knowing Jesus, it's growing in knowledge of Him, which is a process. Paul again says My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want knowledge, it's hidden in Jesus. If you want wisdom, it's in jesus that 's where we go, first and last, but it takes practice to do that because our tendency again is to try and do things our own way. There are also disciplines that face outward that are expressed and tested in amongst people self control you know it 's pretty easy for me to be self in, in self control and by myself no believe i 'm telling the truth, kids I know i 'm there and I watch my self control. No, but self-control is only demonstrated with other people. When you're in traffic or at work or with the kids or something, that's when self-control actually emerges. And why is it a a spiritual discipline? Self-control. Because it means you're not in control. It means you're allowing God to exercise his influence in your life. The ability to control one's emotions and behavior in the face of external demands. A mastery over yourself. There's also the idea of perseverance, endurance, tenacity, determination despite setbacks and godliness, being pure spiritually in humility. Again, humility is only demonstrated when you're with other people. The last aspect he talks about is corporate disciplines, expressed in the midst of our fellow believers. Peter says, add mutual affection, or somewhat translated as brotherly, kindness. It's Philadelphia. It's sympathy, genuine care for one another. It's Godliness expressed in relationship. And Peter says later on in this chapter, "Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for one another, love one another deeply and from the heart. These things are developed by God doing it. I can't decide I'm going to love you I don't like you, but I'm going to love you. No, that has to come from God doing that in our hearts, which is the last aspect, love. A commitment, a deep desire to see the best for somebody else. A feeling, an act of the will, a deep connection to another that is demonstrable, not just in words, but in action. As Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That takes work. Work. But what happens when when we begin to walk this path? Well, Peter gives us two things in verses 8 and 9. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that is, they're increasing, they're always going up, you're growing into those things, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It makes you effective and fruitful, not on the shelf. He also provides a warning. If anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Without these glasses, I'm nearsighted. You're just a blur to me. One big blur. That's how Peter is saying, don't don't go through your faith like this. I have glasses. I can put them on. I can see again. So willful blindness is choosing not to see something. And so it provides a warning for us, that not receiving God's provision is your responsibility. God provides everything that we need to live, and our responsibility is to participate with him. Now, Peter ends this section by encouraging us as to the results of Godly living, and this is the product to keep the three Ps, provision, practice, and product of Godly living. What happened to my friend Alex was that he wasn't growing, so he lost his confidence in his faith. Am I really saved? Sure, he was, but confidence was eroded. It's the fruit of ethical living realized through diligence. I'm not talking about losing your faith. I'm talking about the doubts that can come, from things you do to the enemy accusing you they can create doubt sometimes. When we're walking with the Lord, that is dispelled. It's living a life in abundance and joy of being in the right place with Jesus. It also provides stability in your walk. It means never stumbling. Therefore, my brothers all the more eager to live it, uh, yeah. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. It doesn't mean you'll never sin. It just means you'll never fall. What's he talking about? He's talking about going static in your faith, not growing in your passion for Jesus, not increasing in these areas so you can see growth in your life. And the last thing he talks about is a rich welcome into his kingdom. Just to think about it, there's actually one other aspect of stability. You know, right now, um, let's put it this way, in summertime it's easy to walk outside. In winter it's not, because the ground is slippery. Sometimes life is summertime. Sometimes it's wintertime. You prepare to walk in winter by learning how to walk in summer. As you build your faith, as you grow with Christ, Times will occur in our lives which will knock us off balance. But if we're already walking with Him, His hand is close by to grab a hold of. If you don't know where His hand is, it can be knocked for a loop. So it's training to stand and walk before the Lord. The last thing He talks about is, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it's living a life that pleases God. He's given us everything that we might live for him. It's being welcomed into the eternal kingdom of Jesus. Again, I'm talking about salvation. We're talking about a rich reward with him. It's wanting to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's about living with him and growing with him. So, what kind of response can we give to this? I don't think it was an accident that uh, Pastor Jordan felt strongly that uh, we should work through a series on devotion to Jesus. Um, It's actually a a desire in our leadership to see each one of you maturing in your faith, to see each of you growing and becoming devoted followers of Jesus. One step in this journey was last year, the membership covenant. Remember the membership covenant? Some of you still don't know why we we did that. Why do we have the membership covenant? What's what's that about? Well, it was partly about saying who we are as a church and what it means to belong to this church, but it also is a way to measure how you're doing in your faith. Are there any areas that um, you still need to work on? I have lots of areas to work on. It's a way to look and say, "How, how, how have I progressed in my faith? Am I growing in my faith? If I'm not growing in my faith, that's a warning sign. Because God wants me to grow and to mature. Just as it would be if you had your child and he was never growing. He's eight years old but he still looks like he's two. There's a problem. And it's the same for us as believers. And I want to thank you for embracing the covenant. It's a big change, I know. But it's an important step for us as a church. The second step is a series on devotion. And we pray... The leadership team prays that each of you will be informed, challenged, and motivated to grab Jesus' hand, to hold his hand, and walk with him, developing a lifestyle of spiritual maturity and growth. And as we commit to this and apply God's teachings and look to him and receive what he's provided for us to live, we begin that journey of growing deeper in intimacy with him. He's doing it. We're in a place where he can do that in us. Devotion is something that God desires for us. He knows, you know, he's designed us for eternity. He's designed us to know him. And he provides everything that, he, that, he, uh, that we need. So it begins by accepting. Our response is to accept his provision and then to practice this, to practice these disciplines. So this is our plan over the next little while. This month we're looking at the inward disciplines. Next week Jordan will start with prayer. Study and meditation, silence and solitude and fasting. We don't talk about these things very much, but we will in the next month. Then I'll be looking at the outward disciplines of simplicity, submission, service, and whole life stewardship. These words will be defined. Um, And again, it's not to think of these things as uh, a to do list of legalism. I must do this, I must do this, I must do this. No, it's exercising. And focusing on these kind of uh, concepts that allow God to transform us and to change us. And the last one will be looking at four up to Easter. How does God guide us? What role does confession have and worship in our walk with Him? And we'll finish at Easter with celebration. The celebration, it's a discipline. Learning how to celebrate. How many people don't know how to celebrate? They're always, yeah, I'm happy. Tell me a joke. I mean, they don't want to smile, it seems, but it's lots to celebrate what God has done. We're also doing something new for this series as well. We're going to invite people to read this book, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, as a companion to the series. Because it's not enough, you can't say everything in 30 minutes. If you try, you speak too fast, nobody can understand you, and they forget soon what you said. It's an opportunity to get into a book which we will uh, use in the Wednesday Night Life group, in the prayer meeting group. It'll be, uh, we're not following everything in the book, but it's a guide. It has information. It's very valuable. And it is a a classic uh, book in the Christian world for growing in faith. Because we want to give you something that's not just a Sunday message, something you can take home and read and ponder before the Lord, in addition to, of course, his word. As Foster says, God intends the disciplines of spiritual life to be for ordinary human beings, for everybody. It doesn't require you to be extraordinary. You may be looking at this going, oh, you know, I've done this before. Um, I know what you're talking about. I'm there. Fantastic. That means you can grow even more. For those of you, this is all brand new. I've never heard of these things. It's a place to begin to grow in depth in your faith because spiritual maturity is for everybody, not just for a few. It's a requirement for all believers so we don't end up becoming an Alex where we slip away and become unproductive or ineffective for the Lord. So I'm inviting you to come and join us in this pathway to growing in Christ. Um, It's a new thing for us. It's a new thing for me. I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in my heart. At least there'll be one person in our midst who hopefully will be uh, following these things. After the service, I'll be hanging out at the info desk because we'll have a sign-up sheet for anybody who wants to purchase the book if they don't already have the book. But I believe that God is calling us, as he always does, to a deeper devotion to him. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you left the Father's right hand to come and walk on the earth that you might save us and redeem us. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us life and life abundantly, and it's not just waiting for us in heaven, it's, it's now. It's life you want us to have now as we imitate you, as we learn to follow your footsteps, as we watch you transform our hearts and to change us into what you want us to become. Lord, we pray that you would continue to call us, to urge us, to draw us together, to know you more deeply, and to love you more passionately, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would be glorified and exalted. And we pray, Lord, that uh, as we have one more song before the close of our service, Jesus, I pray that you would uh, continue to touch us and shape us and work out your will in our hearts. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.